We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers, and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are The Unity Project, and this is our podcast. What's up, everyone? I'm Laura Sextro, CEO of The Unity Project and your podcast host. On today's episode, I have an enlightening conversation with Alex Craner, a Monaco-based hedge fund manager, market analyst, and author exposing trends of deception in the global commodities industry. We discussed his expert background as he breaks down the correlation between big pharma corruption and the downfall of liquid biopsy startup Theranos, and how Theranos is a cautionary tale about the pandemic and the attempt at mass vaccination. All right. Okay. I am so excited to have Alex Craner join us today. He is um, one of the most amazing speakers that I've listened to recently. I had the opportunity to join a Zoom call that he was presenting on and uh, was so fascinated by what he was saying that I just had to have him on the podcast because I think what he said was incredibly valuable and people are going to be very thrilled to hear it. So with that, welcome, Alex. Um, Why why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, Laura. Uh, Great privilege to be with you today um, to introduce myself. So uh, I am a Croatian national. I'm living in Monaco, principality in the Mediter- on the coast of Mediterranean Sea um, in France, close to Italy. And uh, I used to live in the United States. I went to, co- to school in uh, California in a place called Moorpark College. I spent some time living in Switzerland, in Venezuela, in the UK. And uh, I served in Croatian military during the war, um, you know, uh, when Yugoslavia was falling apart in the early 1990s. And uh, then in 1996, I moved to Monaco and I stayed here ever since. I I worked in uh, oil trading. Uh, I worked as a a hedge fund manager for about 15 years. I worked in technology development, including uh, what people call AI these days. And uh, I think that one of the things that has marked me in life was the fact that we had that war in former Yugoslavia in the 1990s. And that was one of the major things that kind of um, inclined me to disbelieve what the, what the you know, corporate media publish uh, to disbelieve the narrative because already then I experienced that, you know, what I saw on the ground as a, as a, as a citizen of Croatia and as a soldier in the military was not exactly what the media were reported. And I noticed that there were some pretty dirty games being played about that war. And so ever since uh, it's become my thing to kind of pay attention because I was a, you know, before that, I was, you know, I was one of those people who, you know, I studied in the American system. 
Mm -hmm. I was the, let's say, unsuspecting consumer of the of the Western narrative, uh, the news, the history, the the philosophy, the ideology, all of it, you know. And then uh, I think another aspect to my life that has kind of given shape to my development is that I worked as a hedge fund manager and. You know, in that capacity, you spend most of your day um, researching, basically, because your livelihood, your ability to sell yourself, your ability to persuade mm -hmm. uh, heavily depends on you getting it, you know, like if you understanding how the world really works, as opposed to how they tell you that it works. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, I've made it my business for the last uh, 20, 30 years to pay close attention to events, to research, to verify what I'm told, to believe nothing until it's officially denied and so forth. And so, you know, eventually I ended up writing uh, three books, mm -hmm. one of which was promptly banned by Amazon, uh, I think after about five weeks after publication. And that, that probably one means you're, you're actually successful if it's banned from Amazon. <laughs> well, I think I hit the nerve uh, in some, because the, it was banned. The, Amazon re received a letter from the guy who was the foreign policy advisor to John Kerry. So he was, he's one of the swamp creatures in the State Department. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I received the letter that he sent to Amazon and Amazon promptly banned me. So, you know, obviously... The book contained uh, stuff that wasn't meant to be understood and known what? by the American public. And the, and the what was it? What was it that was contained? So the book was the book is generally about the the relationship between Russia and the West, particularly in the in the United the United States, because it was about the Magnitsky Act, which was passed through Congress in December two thousand and twelve. Mm -hmm. And which is the widely, while widely believed to be the opening salvo of the new Cold War, mm -hmm. because that that started, you know, this 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 these rolling sanctions against Russia that keep being enhanced and enhanced and enhanced, right. and so that that all started December two thousand and twelve. My book kind of exposes the network of power that's behind that, as well as the, uh, the historical context of that network with Russia, mm -hmm. their policies, their, their priorities, and basically the fact that it's, it's been the same thing for 200 years. Sure. Well, that's fascinating, especially, and I think uh, incredibly timely, given everything that's happening right now that you're seeing in the news about Ukraine and Russia and, and the United States. And um, obviously there's, I feel like there's, that could be a podcast in and of itself. And perhaps we'll have you back on because, um, I think we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but what yeah. I find fascinating is that you have this mind, um, and background in not always believing the mainstream narrative, but going and actually researching and, and investigating because of your hedge fund work and, um, how that has probably given you a very unique and um, transparent and, and uh, realistic perspective on what's happening with regard to this pandemic and the global response to it. Yeah, I, I do think so. And, you know, as, as, as I see it, basically it's, it's connecting dots, you know, um, the things that happen in the world today, 
you know, it's it's not possible to know the facts in the real time. You know, we we learn facts with great delay. You know, when when you know uh, classified documents become un unclassified or declassified, uh, when people file freedom of information requests and then some crumbs of information uh, leak out then we can know things as they are but in the real time you know you have to kind of learn the patterns of events in the world and then try to try to interpret the current events in a, in a way that they're consistent with how history really happens rather than the way they teach us in school and, and you know like the more i study things the more i research the more i see that you know the the history as we learned it in school Mm -hmm. is distorted almost by the exact amount to make sure that we do not understand the what we are what what's the most important parts to understand right the right. the power principles and the power plays behind the events rather you know like you get you get a sequence of events just you know like one damn thing after another but mm -hmm. no context no rhyme or reason why these things things happen whereas there actually always is a rhyme or reason uh, why they mm -hmm. happen you know like how the how the first world war started you know they tell you there was like this serbian terrorist guy shot archduke ferdinand in sarajevo and then everybody went crazy and and the war war started on the whole continent and the whole background of the story the context of why anybody had interest in orchestrating that war that's completely omitted omitted so you know, you're left with this impression that people used to be right. stupid and unreasonable and, right. um, you know, they just, right. unlike us, unlike us who are so sophisticated and full of knowledge, 100 years ago, people were just bonkers and they just went right. to war when when it rubbed, when stuff rubbed them the wrong way. Well, and it it's reminds not like me. That. No, and it reminds me of, well, first of all, I think real time what's happening here in the United States is this, this uh, recount of, of U.S. history in a way that it's kind of revisionist history, but also uh, what was it that KGB, former KGB agent, I, you know, there's, there was a video that was circulating for a while. I wish that I could remember the name, but I'm sure you've seen it. The former you're, KGB. You're best man of, I believe. That's, that's right. That's correct. And, um, you know, he spelled it out about um, what they do and how they they indoctrinate and educate um, the general public. And then people are all hanging, you know, on, on their, the edge of their couch, watching the news and believing everything that's coming through the TV screen. Um, and what's fascinating to me though, about really current events and what's happening with this pandemic was uh, your recount of Theranos. And I just, I found that, that story when, when I was on the zoom with you, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I found that incredibly poignant and very, very appropriate. So maybe you could walk us through Theranos and what happened and then what your thoughts are as it relates and correlates to the current situation with the pandemic. Okay. So just as a, as a, as a brief intro to your viewers, uh, so, so Theranos for people who don't remember, was uh, was this uh, high-tech company in the medical diagnosing industry. Uh, it was uh, started and managed by a young woman named uh, Elizabeth Holmes. 
she's now a little bit of a household name because she was just in court, uh, I, I think, in the in the last right. 12 months. And so I think there's like a, a mini series about her, her or something here in the U.S. There, there's actually like oh, a Lifetime right? movie or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so she was, she started Theranos, I think when she was 19, she was very, very young. She was a Stanford, Stanford University uh, dropout. Uh, I, I'm not sure if she even finished the first year of Stanford. And supposedly she invented this uh, amazing uh, machine, which, which looked like, a, like a, one of those stand-up PC computers, uh, which was supposedly capable of uh, cheaply, accurately, and quickly diagnosing some 240 different diseases from like a single droplet of blood. So basically what you would get is like a little prick on your finger. They would take a droplet of blood, they put it in that amazing machine. And then that machine would uh, do its thing. And then you would find out the, the diseases that you have. Mm -hmm. And so I became aware of this company about 2014, 2015, because I was sitting at this hedge fund office where we, you know, followed the news and read stuff and analyzed stuff. And I think in 2014, 2015, you could not turn on a TV without seeing Elizabeth Holmes's face for right. too long. Right. Right. And so she was the, she was the big rock star, the, the next Steve Jobs. Uh, she was celebrated as the youngest self-made female billionaire, you know, inventor, mm -hmm. extremely charismatic, capable, intelligent, she set up this multi-billion dollar company. She raised $750 million from uh, investors and venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. Her company was valued as something like 10 billion at peak, I think, or nine maybe, I don't, I don't, I don't recall exactly. And uh, so this story seemed, you know, at, at, in certain time intervals, she was just everywhere. She was on mm -hmm. the covers of all the magazines. She she was on Oprah, I think. She was, she was on all the talk shows. She was everywhere. And so, you know, I was, let's say, wise enough to the ways of the world when I was observing this that I thought, okay, so this is a thing where they're thinking about doing the IPO. So somebody spent a lot of money on public relations. And right. so they're having her everywhere. And uh, they're pumping up the company, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're pumping up the company in order to take it public. So that's kind of what I thought about it. Right. But then when I looked into this technology, I thought, this is, this seems kind of too good to be true. It seems pretty amazing. And then I looked at the board of directors and I mm -hmm. saw it was the, her board of directors had Henry Kissinger on it. Um, George Schultz, um, Gary Ruffhead, uh, Senator Semnon, who was the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, you know, like um, there was uh, James Mad Dog Mattis, uh, basically wow. every single person on that board of directors was somebody from the deep, you know, like somebody connected with the military right. industrial complex, with the foreign policy establishment. Right. I mean, that's uh, shocking. Yeah, that list, that list of, of people is just, is, it's unheard of for a startup company to have yeah. that kind of a board. 
Yeah. 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 It was, it was, I was, I was very taken aback and I thought like, okay, this is not what they're selling it to be because mm -hmm. none of these people have anything to do with medical diagnosing. None of them are doctors. None of them are into public health. They're all deep state actor. They're some of the most powerful people in the country. George Schultz was secretary of state under Ronald Reagan. He made his career. He was in his eighties when he became uh, uh, when he came on Tirano's board of uh, directors. Mm -hmm. um, okay, uh, I didn't know what it was, but you know, like immediately in my mind, I thought, uh, okay, why are they so keen on this diagnosing? And right. I kind of thought like, well, you know, maybe it would be a very handy thing to have like these uh, new diagnosing technologies that can tell you that you have some disease Right. And then they could kind of persuade you to take certain kind of a treatment or certain kind of a drug. Mm -hmm. So I thought or maybe it was vaccine. a clever, yeah, like a clever scheme to sell more drugs, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to persuade people that they need this and that, right. you know. But I, I didn't find out more and I kind of left it in an open file like okay that's that's all I know about that move on right. happening in the world and then when the you know, when 2020 rolled and we have this uh, global pandemic then it kind of clicked and I realized Theranos was probably intended for these kinds of things because mm -hmm. the way the technology worked was you would you would they would put this sample of your blood, this droplet into the machine, but the machine supposedly ran some kind of an analysis, then sent the data for interpretation to the central servers in the Silicon Valley. And then the Silicon Valley would spit out the, the diagnosis. Right. And I thought, and, and also they said that their objective was to distribute these, um, blood analyzers everywhere uh, mm -hmm. so that they are within five miles of every household and mm -hmm. the intent was so that everybody in the population can have their you know the, like a like a whole health check done every two weeks or every three weeks mm -hmm. and so i thought well, wouldn't that be handy to have if you wanted to conjure up a an, an epidemic in some mm -hmm. part of the world you know like you could say like hey you know, like let's have an epidemic of such and such disease in um, in, uh, in 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 Italy. You know, mm -hmm. which I think would also be a very handy way to put pressure on governments or to destabilize governments or to, you know, like you could you could you could give, involve the World Health Organization and tell them like, okay, you have to, you know, like you're responsible for this outbreak. You have to lock down. Mm -hmm. You have to shut down the country. You have to put people in house arrest. And all this, so I realized that it this might have been the actual intent behind Theranos. Mm -hmm. And then when I went back and I looked into Theranos and the way things evolved, uh, everything I learned about it confirmed this suspicion. Even to the point that today, if you you know, like if you look, if you watch uh, Bill Gates's presentation about how to prevent a new pandemic, he keeps talking about these. Uh, diagnostic technologies that have to be available everywhere. They have to be mm -hmm. quick and accurate and cheap so that people can, 
get themselves diagnosed. And I think in one of the recent videos, he even showed up on stage with a with like a little machine, and he, I, I forget what the name is, but he brought this and little machine, and he said like, thanks to this little thing, we're going to be able to, you know, diagnose diseases quickly, and then these germ teams are going to snap into action, and it's all going to be much much better than with COVID. Well, and I think it's important to note too that th with the technology that that you're talking about, this liquid biopsy technology is extremely sophisticated and still not really um, widely successful and used because, I mean, in 2003, it was almost unheard of. And they're still perfecting this technology, this, this concept of liquid biopsy. Um, so, and I know that there were some questions around that, but I, I interrupted you. Laura, so I'll if, you, going. if you don't mind just switching, sure. uh, switching seats for a short moment, can I ask you sure. what is liquid biopsy? It's exactly what you were just saying. So liquid biopsy is essentially like, when you say biopsy, um, oftentimes we think about that as uh, if you have a tumor or something, the surgeon will go in and take a, a portion of that and then they biopsy it. Well, a liquid biopsy is exactly what you had said that the Theranos was trying to create. So you take blood from someone and with that blood, they then diagnosed any number of um, conditions most oftentimes and most, most currently it's related to cancer. So the oncology space. So someone would essentially then, um, diagnose a multitude of different cancers, but again, it's not even widely used because the tech, the technology hasn't even been perfected. If that okay. answers well, your question. Yes. Thank you. And mm -hmm. I, I think that this is an important point because mm -hmm. one thing that I learned about Theranos is that, um, well, it actually became public knowledge that the technology uh, Elizabeth Holmes supposedly developed never worked. So, right. as I mentioned, it was meant to be able to diagnose 240 different diseases. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that it could diagnose only about 11 and not very accurately and not very reliably. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this was a very well-known fact to the insiders for a long time. And the, the thing is that it was, in fact, quite hopeless because mm -hmm. there were actually, you know, certain processes that needed to be done to diagnose one disease would render certain other processes that needed, you needed to diagnose some other disease mutually exclusive because of light conditions and temperature and so forth. And you couldn't do it all in a little in a little box, you know. Like uh, legacy, legacy diagnosing technologies, blood analyzers are are very large machines, you know, very expensive, and they build them that way for a reason, not because you know they just don't know how to do it any better. Right. And it, it, one of the key moments in Theranos is that the lab analyst uh, Erica Chong, who you know quickly upon starting to work for Theranos became aware of all these things. Mm -hmm. And her colleague, uh, Tyler Schultz, who was the grandson of the of, of George Schultz, the, the member of the Theranos board of directors, mm -hmm. they actually thought this is all wrong. This is all very dangerous. And right. Tyler Schultz organized a dinner with Joel, George Schultz. And at that dinner, he came along with Erica Chung and they laid out all these facts before the senior George Schultz. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And, you know, they thought uh, the man should probably look into this, demand mm -hmm. explanations. And if there's merit to what uh, Tyler Schultz and Erica Chang were telling him, he should immediately distance himself from this mess, sure. right? It's a, because it's a fraud, so, right? So let's just, I just want to make sure that I'm, I um, got that correctly. So you're saying the grandson of George Schultz, who sits on the board of Theranos, um, works for Theranos. And he and Erica Chung went to George Schultz. The grandson went to the grandfather and expressed concerns. Right. Yeah, correct. Okay. And they mm -hmm. and they pretty much explicitly told him that when Theranos lab technicians pretend to analyze your blood sample on these Theranos uh, um, blood analyzers, mm -hmm. that they actually go through the back door physically mm -hmm. and split this sample into more samples, and then they analyze them on the large legacy uh machines you know stuff that are you know i think abbott labs makes them siemens makes them and another few companies and so they would produce the actual um analysis result on the legacy machines but they pretended that they used these um proprietary miraculous right. blood, blood analyzers um mm -hmm. and uh, well they basically told this to george schultz and they told him that the that the that the proprietary technology was completely unreliable and it didn't didn't work at all the way they advertised it right. and so at this point uh george because. schultz doesn't 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 do what you would think he would do to protect his own reputation mm -hmm. you know and to not become enmeshed in this uh, grand, uh, you know, you know, this turned out to be the the greatest scandal in uh, in Silicon Valley's history. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, he suggests to his grandson and Erica Chong to find job, el find work elsewhere, to mm -hmm. to resign. Erica Chong, in fact, resigned the next day. And then he had uh, David Boyce uh, law firm. David Boyce is one of these power lawyers, uh, usually involved with the Democratic Party. Uh, started the, this this campaign of aggressive surveillance and intimidation of any would-be whistleblower in the company. You know, like people had to right. uh, sign these airtight non-disclosure agreements. Then they 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 subjected them to surveillance in a way that was very intimidated. With that, that the targets of surveillance would be become aware that they're being surveilled. That they feel uh, nerve nervous and pressured and afraid so that they would mm -hmm. never ever risk talking to the media or anywhere else and Didn't someone this, commit this suicide as a result of this of the yeah going that's through? right so one of the one of the lab technicians actually couldn't take the pressure and ended up mm -hmm. ended up committing suicide i forget his name now but um in the meantime george schultz's grandson who was encouraged very strongly and uh, to to sign these non-disclosure agreements and who was pressured very heavily by his grandfather and this uh, the david boyce uh uh law firm i think it was called boyce schiller mm -hmm. uh, he turned out to be one of the heroes of the story because in the end he chose not to remain silent and to take the risk of speaking out but I wanted to get back to uh, the fact that you said that these technologies are not that good, that they're not yet 
they're uh, not. And in fact, they're not because. They might... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, a lot because a lot of what they rely on, just um, for clarification, is machine learning and AI. And I know you have a background in AI. And um, and if you go back to two thousand three, like AI and machine learning really was was not even a thing. So... Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. But you see what. What comes out from Therano's story is that they didn't actually care whether mm -hmm. the technology worked at all. Right. Uh, my impression, even though this is not stated anywhere, my impression is that what they cared about is using this technology as an information weapon. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whether it works or not. It matters whether the public believes that it works so you know what like when when tyrannos blood analyzer says that you have a covid or monkeypox virus infection that you comply with whatever they right. tell you rather than thinking like no this is nonsense i'm just going to go get a second opinion or have my blood analyzed on a different in a different lab on a different machinery so i think that their idea was to build up this amazing technology the fact that they knew it didn't work and the fact that they were told by experts that it couldn't work right. uh, didn't deter them. They didn't say like, mm -hmm. well, maybe this was not a good idea. Maybe we shouldn't have wasted $750 million uh, of investor assets. Maybe we should uh, return whatever's remaining and disband this or maybe you know, repurpose it to something more modest. Mm -hmm. uh, they went straight ahead with it they had a they had a they had a partnership agreement with uh, Walgreens, very shady story. And Walgreens had the whole menu of all these um, blood analysis that they were able to do on Tyrannos uh -huh. machines. They were doing ninety percent of these analyses on legacy uh, machines, but they didn't tell the the patients you know so they it was it was all a pretense and it's really hard to explain how can people who are in the business of blood analysis do things like this and perpetuate this deception mm -hmm. and this went on for a long time and the story collapses in october 2015 when wall street journal reporter john carreiro publishes a story saying that there's 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 a dark side to Therano's story that their technology doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Walgreens nevertheless takes another seven months before they um, cancel this uh, partnership agreement with Therano. So they, you know, they carried on, they carried on uh, and they hoped to, you know, put the house of cards back together. Well that sounds very much like what's happening to me. There's like a correlation between um, a corollary, I guess, um, example of what's happening with that where Walgreens kind of drags their feet before they, they pull these tests. Well, look at what happened with the PCR tests, right? The PCR tests we now know are faulty. We know, we now know that they produced a very high rate of false positives. Um, and, and we finally now have the FDA, the CDC coming out and saying, you know, we now know that the PCR tests, well, I think they knew it, it goes without saying that they knew for a long time, but, but similarly, right. They dragged their feet. So 
Yeah, but you see, this is this is where uh, Theranos or similar technologies, liquid biopsy technologies, are important because, you know, you can you can hide them behind the veil of uh, you know trade secrets or patents, mm-hmm. whereas PCR test was a known thing. You know, too many right. professionals in the industry knew what PCR tests were, so that's how we found out that the results depend on how they're calibrated, uh, how many amplification cycles they run. You know, like I was I was obliged uh, a, a year ago maybe to take PCR tests with my kids mm-hmm. and we all got positive PCR tests. And then I, I inquired like, how many, how many amplification cycles did you run this test on? And it took me, I think 10, 10 phone calls because nobody would tell me. Oh, sure. And then in the end, somebody called me back here in Monaco and they said like, yeah, in fact, we think it's it's false positives because we ran it at 35 amplification cycles. And I told them 35 amplification cycles means that it's 97% probable that it's a, it's a, it's a false positive. Mm-hmm. However, you know, like at the lower level, all these technicians were swearing that this is all perfectly accurate. Right. Uh, that they never get false positives. And then I asked them, like, how many people call you back to ask? And they said, like, right. well, nobody does. And I said, like, right. so how do you know that you don't have? So basically, you know, like, I think that the the people in the hierarchy at the lower levels who are meant mm-hmm. to just execute the, you know, the, op- the, the, the operational part of the pandemic game are given very mm-hmm. limited... Um, training a very limited information and so all they know is like you take the sample you put it here uh, the machine spits out the number and then you tell the people uh, if they're positive or they're negative and they don't know more before that uh, more beyond that Uh and so with 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 the technology like Theranos it would be that plus the fact that we wouldn't have any idea of how these uh, diagnosis, these test results come about because they would they could always say like, well, you know, that's private property. It's a patented uh, technology. It's uh, information that's not can be disclosed to the public. And then maybe you know, like if people if people pressured, mm-hmm. they would find some kind of a company, you know, like private friendly company, like what's that thing called? You know, the people who the, the people who analyze the DNC servers. Oh, I know what you're talking about. The name's escaping me as well. <laughs> yeah, um, but that company too has mm-hmm. a link to Theranos, believe it or not, because one of the one of the people who uh, was involved with uh, um, Boyce Schiller in intimidating Theranos mm-hmm. employees was a co-founder of this company. I can't believe I don't because it's a it's like a, such a name. I, uh, I can't believe I don't. Uh, I know. Proud we'll, strike. We'll, we'll look. There we Proud go. Strike. Yes. Yeah, so you know, like then, if there was a question of uh, how how these test results are being conjured up, then they could always mm-hmm. find some crowd strike to analyze it and to say, like, okay, we audited it; it's all perfectly fine, it's great, but we can't tell you how because it's private information sure. and we can't we can't disclose it. So I, Theranos, definitely. Uh, must have been envisioned with this purpose because it's extremely difficult to explain why all these extremely powerful people who joined Theranos board of directors, even though they had no expertise, 
uh, no experience in public health, in uh, medical technologies, in uh, diagnosing um, and blood analyzing, any of that, were so keen on this company to succeed. And even when the story broke that the company was a fraud, that the technology uh, didn't work, that it was worthless, they kept at it and they tried to glue it back together. So the only way you can explain why these people would be so keen is that is because there must have been an alter, uh, ulterior agenda. Sure. And so now that we are in these pandemic games, uh, mm-hmm. now we know what the ulterior agenda is. And then, you know, like I looked into, so if, if Theranos fell apart, it, the, the whole story collapses, mm-hmm. but these, this agenda is still relevant, it's still important, then we could expect the same suspects to try to do a different. And so I found out that uh, uh, Silicon Valley in, in, invested a lot of money into another few companies doing this liquid biopsy. Mm-hmm. And one of them, the name escapes me now, but one of them actually, the founder and the, and the CEO actually explicitly stated that he wants to build on Elizabeth Holmes' vision that, uh, you know, like it's a shame that it all came uh, uh, came down, but that um, they they intend to succeed where Theranos had failed. And so obviously these technologies are still being built and developed. Uh, Bill Gates is obviously touting uh, some of these technologies. We saw that Bill Gates and George Soros purchased a, um, a British company that um, developed some technology for ultra rapid, accurate, cheap uh, uh, COVID tests. And so, and, and if you listen to Bill Gates, his statement, he keeps talking about diagnosing, about uh, the importance of these, of their ability to diagnose very large segments of the population very regularly, very rapidly and cheaply. Mm-hmm. And obviously the intent is not for them to make sure that we're all in good health, but to use this information uh, as means to subject us again to this mass formation psychosis. psychosis. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that is not linked to Theranos, but I also I also came, came upon uh, uh, an academic paper published in PLOS, I think in 2013 or 2014, where they mm-hmm. correlate the prevalence of infectious disease in a, in a country or in a culture or in a, you know, like in a community with mm-hmm. totalitarian political systems. Okay, and they found, they found that the correlation is something terrible, something very high, something like 70%, uh-huh. which, uh, which, uh, I, apparently is unheard of in social sciences. Right. And, and I, I remember Jordan Peterson saying that 70% is higher than correlation between uh, test scores and IQ. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's like a, a, a staggeringly high number, which means that very often uh, when you have prevalence of infectious disease, you'll find totalitarian rule. Well, I think that 
uh, we have to search no further than to look back on the last two years to understand that that's true. Look at what happened. I mean, look what happened in the United States of America. I always say it's the greatest, in my opinion, one of the greatest civilizations, one of the most um, opportunity giving, one of the most freest um, civilizations in human history. And in two years, we have seen uh, a tremendous dismantling of that. I mean, if you look at, even look at like states like California, in states like California, they are literally authoring bills that say things like, uh, you know, 2098 uh, says that if a, you know, doctor essentially goes against the COVID narrative and uh, does, takes a bold step to um, practice medicine and let's say recommends against the vaccine for a patient that would have counter uh, counterindicated uh, results. Like, let's say you have an autoimmune disorder and that doctor says, Hey, you shouldn't get the vaccine. Well, guess what? 2098 would make it so that the state of California can come in and uh, take away their medical license. So it's subject to review and, and then taking away. And if you take away a doctor's medical license, they can no longer practice medicine. So I 100% agree. I think it's a fascinating study that, that you're uh, citing and we're seeing it play out in real time in the United States and in particular in states like California and, and then of course in New York as well. So uh, I agree. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, if your readers want to look it up, I think it's called of uh, something, something in the title is a, a politics and pathogens or path of, pol of pathogens and politics, something like that. I can we'll see if we can get know, the link. Yeah, I can. I can send you the reference, and maybe you can put it in the mm -hmm. in the in the links. And so, basically, you know, um, back to where we started, you 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 you're not going to get. Well, apart from the the paper published by the Rockefeller Foundation in 2011, where they pretty much say explicitly that, you know, we're going to. Uh, we're going to go into a more authoritarian uh, political regime in the future, and essentially it will be ushered uh, on the back of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, apart from that document, which anybody could say, like, "Oh yeah, you know, they were just, uh, you know, mm, thinking things through," because that's what think tanks do. We have all the elements to connect the dots. And I think interpret the intent of the of the ruling establishment to uh, use these events to induce mass formation psychosis and to uh, drastically uh, cut back on civil liberties and and, and people's freedoms, mm -hmm. and to usher in a totalitarian uh, political regime where you no longer have choice. And as you said, you know, like if, if there's a law that can strip a medical, a trained medical doctor of his license because he he makes a judgment that's at odds with what the law um, or what, what, you know, what, what the state bureaucracy um, mm -hmm. dictates, then you do already have a totalitarianism because right. the doctors will not go against this for the most part you know some will but for the most part they will not because they will be afraid of losing their license their livelihoods mm -hmm. uh, their families their homes you know you trained all your life you invested all your life into being a doctor you have your clients you have your practice mm -hmm. and now for one uh, let's say bad call you can be stripped of everything 
And that at the same time means that people are deprived of receiving the best advice. Instead, they get right. the advice that the state deems best for right. whatever the purpose is. Sure. I mean, it's completely eroded the, the, the doctor-patient um, relationship. It's cl completely eroded at doctor's ability to actually practice medicine. I mean, we have, we have um, bills in California where they're proposing that um, in order for law enforcement to receive funding, um, they will have to enforce California Department of Health regulations. If you think about that, I mean, that's very, um, that's almost very Nazi-esque, right? Like it, Nazi yeah, Germany, yeah. right? You, so, yes. so, so the California Department of Health is not, those aren't elected officials. That is a, 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 it's, and it's not a governing body. And so now all of a sudden you have uh, people in an office making up policies that law enforcement now is required to enforce. Uh, it, it's a very, very scary thing that's happening and people, it's happening very quietly. People aren't paying attention. And I think to your point, uh, what's fascinating, I actually have a background in data, data analytics. And so much like you describe, these key indicators to me are, are very interesting. And if you look back over the course of the last two years and probably even prior to the last two years, you can see some, some red flags and some key indicators as to how we have gotten here today. But one of the things that I thought was, was really inspirational when I was listening to you speak about Theranos um, in, in, in the Zoom call that we were on was how you correlated um, the fact that Theranos for all intents and purposes back in 2014 seemed to be this behemoth um, organization that was untouchable and it has now it's crumbled, right? Um, and yeah. so there's a little inspiration, I think, in that story. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you know, that part of the story is exactly why I felt compelled to uh, write about it and to uh, mm -hmm. make a video about it, because I think it's so, you know, if you, if you can imagine going back to 2014, 2015, you have this widely celebrated young woman um, running a high technology company worth almost $10 billion. She's everywhere in the media. Um, people can't get enough of her. She's being nominated to, you know, um, uh, honored Harvard, Harvard alum. She's, she's being named to all these very, uh, very flattering and very uh, important posts. I think that the Barack, President Barack Obama named her as a, as the U.S. ambassador of uh, entrepreneurship. I don't know exactly what the, what the, what the label is, but, you know, everywhere that they could um, build her up, they built her up and they, it went to the point of um, projecting as a somebody who is doing this out of the kindness of her heart to uh, help people to, uh, you know, democratize diagnostics, to uh, make it accessible to everybody, to... Mm -hmm. Uh, they even they were they even went as far as saying that she had saved millions of lives and things like that. Mm -hmm. I um, remember, she had she received seven hundred and fifty million dollars in cash from some of the most wow. best known names. You know, like people like Rupert Murdoch, uh, Larry mm -hmm. Allison, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Some of the leading 
uh, venture capitalists in the, in the Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, uh, it was, it, it seemed unstoppable. It seemed unstoppable and she, she seemed uh, untouchable in, in terms of her public image. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, on the dark side of it, you had very aggressive repression of any potential whistleblowing and never, and, and then you had the board of directors who were all these extremely powerful people connected with the Pentagon, with the CIA, with the foreign, uh, foreign services, with, um, you know, um, with the military industrial complex and so forth. So it seemed infallible. It seemed like the Death Star, you know, and because of five or six individuals, because, you know, they, they did successfully intimidate most people in Tyrannos who thought like, all right, I'll just go to work. I'll collect my paycheck, hopefully some right. bonus. Uh, and, um you know, I'll do, I'll do what's asked of me and I'll keep quiet. But you had mm -hmm. these five or six individuals who, in spite of very aggressive intimidation and surveillance and all this pressure that they, they're, they're going to have their lives destroyed, their careers destroyed, that they would not be able to find employment anywhere else and so forth. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, they couldn't remain silent. And because of those few individuals, the whole thing collapsed in spite of the millions spent on PR, yes. in spite of all these mad dog Mattis, uh, George Schultz, Gary Ruffhead, Admiral, who's, who was also a um, Navy Admiral, Sam Nunn, cha chairman of the, of the Armed Services Committee, George Schultz, Henry Kissinger, one of the most powerful people in the world. Mm -hmm. It all crumbled like a house of cards because it could not withstand, uh, it could not withstand truth. And so That's just right. by sign, just by somebody uh, lighting a light, mm -hmm. the whole thing was exposed and it collapsed. Right. And so the reason why that, I mean, I think it's obvious, but the reason why that fills me with optimism is exactly because there today we have so many people who are refusing to be quiet. Yes. Um, I, I don't even like to name names because there are so many there, you know, like right. when, when the pandemic started, I started making a list of these doctors mm -hmm. that were speaking openly and truthfully. Mm -hmm. And when I, st I stopped counting when I, when I got to about a hundred. Right. But the, I think there are literally thousands of them. And, yeah. you know, the story has obviously unraveled. You know, we haven't seen spectacular things like Bill Gates being tarred and feathered and ran out of town on a rail, but we've seen that the whole thing has greatly diminished and deflated. We see that there's no more, you know, like there's no more um, enthusiasm for this for this project, and that. You know, when they start talking about monkeypox, that people are going, oh, there you go again. You know, like instead of being mm -hmm. instead of being nervous and afraid and ready to comply and be, you know, like do what's what's asked of them, people are rolling their eyes mm -hmm. as, as if, if not if not everybody and if not majority, then a very significant segment of the population. You know, we're, we're not talking about 
you know, like one in a thousand uh, tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorists. <laughs> right. I think we're talking about perhaps one in three or one in four, mm -hmm. but that's a huge um, chunk of the population. It and, is. you know, like as, as, as Abraham Lincoln said, with, with public support, you can do everything and anything. Mm -hmm. And without public support, you cannot do anything. Right. So for it's, you know, it is, you know, sometimes people think that because people are in the seat of power that they can just, you know, plow through everything and force everybody, but it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way because, you know, to, to execute these agendas, you kind of have to mobilize a very large hierarchy of people, you know, like the people I told you where, where I where I did my uh, my my COVID test. You know, they mm -hmm. yeah. they were they were doing their thing, and there's a lot of these people. But once the truth starts coming out, you know, people are not so keen on cooperating, and that's another reason. You know, like part of the my my Theranos stories that was that was encouraging is that you see that such schemes cannot. Um, cannot get cooperation for very high level, um, high reputation professionals. No, and I don't because think it can withstand the test of time. Sorry? I don't think that it can withstand the test of time either. Yeah, and you know, like people who have built their reputation in, mm -hmm. in, in some domain, in some industry, in some university, whatever, they have a certain standing and people respect them. They're not gonna cooperate with a lie and they're gonna realize that there's a lie, that they're being asked to cooperate. And so these very extremely powerful people mm -hmm. are then obliged to recruit very low caliber leaders, which Elizabeth Holmes right. was. You know, they, mm -hmm. you know, they had this massively ambitious project. They made a huge investment. Mm -hmm. they, they hinged their personal reputations onto this. And they entrusted it to a 19-year-old dropout with no medical knowledge, with no engineering knowledge, with no uh, blood chemistry knowledge. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it was all going to uh, fall apart. And now when you look at the COVID, uh, these pandemic games, right. you see who's in power. All of our leaders are extremely low-caliber people. Mm -hmm. So you know, when they need to mobilize that hierarchy of people to execute flawlessly on this very ambitious agenda, the wheels start coming off because when people realize they're being lied to, they're not gonna take orders from these jokesters, you know, like Justin Trudeau and, and Kamala Harris, you know, like if Kamala Harris mm -hmm. sends US military into war, are they gonna go? Right. You know, well. are they gonna go when, you know, like when Tedros uh, in, in the World Health Organization tells you that, you're at risk from monkeypox, people are gonna shrug, shrug their shoulders and go on about their lives. Yeah, I think no doubt they have used up their ability to conjure up um, these this state of fear, this chronic state of fear that they, they think that they put us in. And of course, by design, it's intentional and it's necessary to have the general public and the mass um, population feel as though we're in a chronic state of fear, right? We're constantly running for cover from, from what a, one pandemic to the next. And I think they've used it up. 
no doubt. And um, I love this this story of of Theranos and the correlation to um, how how that ties into what we're experiencing today. But what I particularly really enjoyed when I listened to this the first time and I'm enjoying it the second time is this um, message of at the end, right? It seems like up to this point, there's really just no way for us to overcome um, where we are. And I do agree with you. I think that there are indicators that we're starting to see um, that, that whatever they're doing to the American public and to the global community, it's starting to, we're starting to see through what they're doing. And I feel very inspired, much like you said, by this, this story of Theranos, this company that just seemed as though no one, it was untouchable, no one could take it down and, and look where they are now. And I know that Elizabeth Holmes will probably never, um, you know, spend years and years and years and years in prison. Um, she certainly will, is, is discredited. Um, and, and I know that the people who were, were running and sitting on the board of Theranos may not ever see accountability, but there, there's still hope, I think. And the fact that they were, they've been stopped is a story of inspiration. So, yeah, I would just say this, uh, I, I agree with everything you said, mm -hmm. but I think that what these people do, because they have virtually unlimited resources, mm -hmm. is they, you know, like they receive back into the shadow. Yes. They wait and then they regroup and then they try again because, mm -hmm. you know, people don't have a very long memory, you know. And uh, I think that we generally tend to not, you, you, you know, we, we like to just go about our lives and be left alone. We're not. Mm -hmm very vindictive on you know as a collective right however i think it would be absolutely paramount to demand accountability this time around because yes. if we don't these people you know like they keep learning they keep right. optimizing their operating system and they're going to hit us with the next thing and the next thing and the sure. next thing and they're going to keep doing this until they can succeed right. so you know, people like George Soros, people like Bill Gates, um, I would say large swathe of the academia need to face accountability. Mm -hmm. Well, and the media included, quite honestly, there's, you know, if you oh, look absolutely. back at what's, what's absolutely. happened. They, they bear, I think, the heaviest burden of responsibility sure. in this. Absolutely. They, they have a burden of responsibility. For sure. And there, so I would agree with you, you know, there has to be accountability and there also has to be a... Um, a, uh, I think an assessment of the mechanisms that were, were used from a legislative process. Uh, here in the United States, we use something called the PREP Act, which essentially gives the states the ability to declare states of emergency and also take away any liability that anyone involved in this might have. So, so we really need to go back and do, in my opinion, an assessment of not only who's who's being held accountable, but what were the, the tangible mechanisms that were used to get us to this point? And I think there, there are people that are in this fight. I, I interviewed uh, Mark Moiser, who uh, works for the Dillon Law Group, and they did. he's actually had several Supreme Court cases that he's won successfully is around, this, you know, around some of these vaccine mandates. And I think there are individuals that are out there that are doing that work, and that needs to be highly encouraged. 
Yeah, I think that needs to be yeah. highly encouraged, and it probably has to be funded in some way. I, I, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't imagine how it would be done. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure that the, uh, you know, the people who would feel threatened by such a process would defend themselves very aggressively. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. But I think it is very essential because otherwise we're going to be, uh, we, we're going to con be continually falling into these things. You know, like if you go back 20 years, when they started with these pandemics. It's been one every year or every every other year. You know, they they they, they keep doing this. Right. And I think that this is the, the first time maybe that they actually shredded their credibility. But that doesn't mean that they're not gonna try two years from now again, or or mm -hmm. if not two, maybe five or ten years from now. But right. we can't have this because it's it's far too disruptive, it's far too destructive. It actually destroys many, many, many people's lives, people's lives. And it's also um, extremely corrosive to uh, many, you know, legitimate institutions of society. Like, like you mentioned, the doctors. You know, like you now, what's what's happening now? We can't trust our doctors anymore because right. you don't know exactly what kind of risks and threats they're facing if they give you the correct uh, treatment recommendation. So they give you the wrong one because. Well, they have to because otherwise they're they're facing liability. Sure. So we, I, I think there needs to be a, a major massive purge, uh, setting the society back on the on the right track again. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, not 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 unfortunately, but it's it's it, it complicates things. Mm -hmm. I think that we need a new monetary system because everything absolutely. You know, the monetary system is the mother load mm -hmm. that contaminates everything else. And one of the ways it does that is it allows these this very, very narrow segment of society, which are these, um, you know, elite, quote unquote, degenerates yeah. who get to play God. Right. It allows them to um accumulate a very massive amount of wealth right. to themselves to influence the legislative process and to do what they want with no accountability mm -hmm. with you know no downside risk to themselves sure. there's no ramifications look at look at the uh, the shift in wealth over the last two years right and it was all done under the guise of covid protection right you couldn't go and buy well you couldn't buy toilet paper at all which is a whole probably different podcast segment because that was just the oddest thing but <laughs> yeah. but you know you couldn't go buy toilet paper at your your local corner store but you could buy it at walmart right what's the difference and and it was to me it was very clear and transparent that what was happening was you were directing wealth um, and revenue away from these um, these small businesses and and shifting it to these major conglomerates. Yeah, exactly. And that's what that's what we had here in uh, in France and in Croatia, pretty much everywhere in Europe. That they shut down the cafes and restaurants, right? But you could still go to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. You know, right? Science. I mean, it's, it's so it seems so transparent. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Alex, this has been such a fun conversation and I would love to have you back on. I think there's so much more that we can talk about. I think your background's fascinating and um, I'm excited for the opportunity to visit with you again. So thank you very Thanks much. For
I've Thank enjoyed it. Thank you, Laura. It. That will be with great, with great, with great pleasure, and uh, warm greetings to you and uh, your team, and to your viewers from Monaco. Thank you. Uh, before we end, tell everyone how they can follow you, and and tell everyone where uh, where they can get your books. Oh right. Okay, so uh, they can find me on Twitter. My my handle is at Naked Hedgy. Um, I have a, a professional website called iSystem Trend Following. That's for people who invest, for traders. And I also have a personal blog called The Naked Hedgy. They cannot buy my books on Amazon because Amazon deleted me and stole my my royalties. Oh, True story. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. And uh, but uh, a company called Red Pill Press uh, published my um, my geopolitical book, which is called Grand Deception, and that's available on the pages of web pages of Red Pill Press. But it's not available on, on Amazon because it's been banned. All right. Well, so we'll direct that. everyone there. It doesn't surprise me that it's been banned. They ban anything that makes sense or exposes anything that they're doing. So. All right, Alex, it's been great um, and have fun in Monaco. I'm jealous. <laughs> all right, we'll talk <laughs> to you, you soon. Much. From all of us at the Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that the Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the Donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence, without which our work wouldn't be possible.